Good morning, Mill City. Good to see all of you, man. Everybody's alive and awake today. Maybe it's because it's not raining. I, I don't know. But. <laughs> uh, for anybody who's maybe brand new with us, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And also want to take a moment and welcome anybody and everybody joining us online. Can we just give them a big, warm welcome? And before we jump into the message today, I also want to highlight... Uh, if you would, kind of mark on your calendar. You can take out your phone, however you have that, and mark July 15th. It's a Saturday. It's serve day uh, for us at Mill City every year. Uh, we have one particular day where we try to mobilize everybody in our house uh, to serve northern Colorado. And so uh, meet practical needs. There's things for families, for individuals, for kids, for everybody in our house. And uh, you can go on our website, millcitychurch.org, and find those, start registering for those. But uh, first thing, mark your calendar for that morning, and, uh, and let's, let's, uh, let's really uh, make a dent. I think we can do that together um, as we all uh, navigate and serve and love Northern Colorado together. So July 15th, uh, going to be a great day. Uh, who in the room has seen the movie The Truman Show? All right, who has not seen The Truman Show? Okay, great, younger people in the room. All right, so uh, the movie The Truman Show came out several years ago, uh, starring Jim Carrey, and and, and, and basically, he is living this, in this world that isn't real because he's living in a TV studio. He's, on, he's, a, he's in a TV show, but he doesn't know it. So who he thinks are his friends are actually just actors. And, and so he one day kind of asks the question, what's out there? What's beyond? There's this like ache that's saying like, is there more? And the, the, the show is trying to get him to be like, no, 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 don't worry about that. Don't go out there. No, no, it's dangerous out there. And, but he's like, no, I'm getting on the water. And he gets in the water and he starts rowing and, and they create a storm to try and get him to not go to the edge. He's trying to get to the edge and to the horizon and he gets there and it's a painted wall. Sorry, spoiler alert, but you've had plenty of time to see it, so... Here he is at the edge, and it's nothing. It's not really it. We're in a series right now uh, going through the book of Ecclesiastes for the summer, and the writer of Ecclesiastes in some ways is rowing his boat to the edges of several of things that we find under the sun, experiences, things that we do, pleasure, rowing to the edge and finding that it's a painted wall. It's a painted wall if we look to it as an idol. If we look to idols, but the goal of Ecclesiastes is for us to look through things like an icon. You look to something to put the weight of your life on, or we can look through something and see it as it's supposed to be seen in order to see the one that we can put the weight of our life on. And so we are in part three of this series, and each week now exploring different topics that the writer of Ecclesiastes brings up. Last week we addressed pleasure, and this week we're going to address the topic of work. 
We're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 17. He says, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This word meaningless is used 38 times in this short book, 12 chapters. The word meaningless is the Hebrew word havel, which means smoke or vapor, kind of like trying to, it's something you can't quite grasp. It's not solid. He says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my, poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all that they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? In all their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without Him, who can eat or find enjoyment? The person who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's easy to Maybe read the book of Ecclesiastes and feel like, this is depressing. Like, who, kind of a who cares? Like, what does it really matter? I mean, he's highlighting that you might work and make something, make a lot of money or give a lot to your kids, but then maybe they waste it. So, like, what does that even matter? But the point is not that nothing matters. The point is, if we try and put ultimate meaning and find the ultimate meaning in things, then we will find that they don't matter in the way that they, we'd like them to. Instead, what he's saying is there's meaning in them, but we have to put the right meaning on them. So today, as I mentioned, we're talking about work, which can look like maybe as a student, your work is to engage with your studies. Maybe you're an executive or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. There's work in raising kids. There's work in taking care of a home. There's work in, at a coffee shop or there's work in an executive office. But work means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some of you, if you're honest, you hate work. You, 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 don't, you don't like it for lots of reasons. Maybe it's boring. Maybe you say it's inconsequential. It's unsatisfying. It just feels like a grind. It feels like Groundhog Day. Just over and over and over, it's the same thing. If you remember the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial, God, make the donuts. That's what life feels like to you, work feels like. It's just survival. You work in order to be able to live. Or maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you love work. You love what you do. You find it purposeful, exciting. And maybe it's even further on the extreme than that, that you're a workaholic. You love it so much that it is the identity of who you are. Or maybe there's this mix. I don't know that it's always so quite clear and black and white, either or. But sometimes it's a both and. And maybe you find that, that it's a mix of, of meaning or money. Or it's like, I, I make a lot of money, but I don't really enjoy my job. 
I like what it gives me, but I don't like the actual job. Or the other. So, sometimes you might feel like, well, I, I would rather have a more meaningful job, but I don't think that I can make money. And so there's these complicated relationships that we have with work. Because we do need to make money in order to live, and yet there's also something more about it. And no matter how much money you make from your work, work can become an idol or it can be an icon. It, does, it can't have ultimate meaning is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, but it does have meaning. We spend half of our waking lives on our way to, on our way from, or at work. So it sure seems important that we see it the way that God sees it. So I want to take a little moment and kind of unpack a theology of work and what God has to say about it. We're going to start in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, first chapter in the Bible, where he says, this is in the creation narrative, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here we have the creation of humans. We're going to make them in our image, God says, so that, in other words, this is what we're going to have them do. They're going to rule. Now this word rule is a kingly rule, or another way of saying is reign, like we reign and rule over something. Another word that is used in other translations is dominion or subdue. You're going to have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And you're like, what does that mean? How do I tell that bird to, I'm ruling you. <laughs> now this was the, this was the sphere that, that Adam and Eve were in, in the Garden of Eden. And some, you know, over the livestock and the wild animals. And you're like, well, there's, I know a few people that take care of horses and, you know, we, I rule, we, we rule over a few chickens at our house. So what does this mean in 2023? It means you rule over the world that you reside in. You rule over emails. And you rule over a construction site. And you rule over your yard. And you rule over kids. You reign. It says in Genesis chapter 2, as you continue, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. See, God for six days had created stars and land and water and fish and birds and so on and so forth. And, and after each and every day, he said, God said, and he saw it and was like, this is good. He took delight in it. And after six days of that, I don't know if he wasn't tired, but, but it's like he sat down on his deck and sipping Mountain Dew and and say, probably looking at the Rocky Mountains and like, oh man, what a great job I just did. You ever do that? You have a project, maybe it's a work project, maybe it's a house project, whatever it might be, and you're like, sit back after you're done and you're like, oh man, it's just so nice just to admire, to appreciate, to value what you just did. But then in Genesis 2 verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and take care of it. So God worked creating with energy and creativity. But then, 
after God works, He commissions humanity to carry on the work. So it isn't like God worked and He put them into a resort and and they just were sipping Mai Tais and just hanging out, having a good old time, nothing to do. That's not what God said. He said, take care of it. Because not only are we designed to work, we are like God when we work. And God's plan has always included humans working. Not just sitting back, doing nothing. He gave work to Adam and Eve. Each other is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. The narrative continues in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. Verse 12, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Now, as you read the Bible, there are sometimes unique details. There's details of genealogies. Sometimes you're like, why is this even here? But I find this verse 12 to be specifically unique. Because here he is, he's talking about this, these rivers, and then he says, and there's gold, and the gold in that land is good. Aromatic resonant onyx are also there. I mean, this is like, we're down, getting down to minutia. Why this random stuff? I believe that God is highlighting raw materials. Raw materials that are still undeveloped, that he is asking humanity to do something with, with energy and creativity. Just like he created the world, now he says, okay, I've, I've really made a world, put you in it, and given you now raw materials to develop and to do something with it, with energy and creativity. In Genesis 2, it says that he placed them in the garden to work it or to cultivate to produce something with the raw materials that God had given. See, God didn't God gave God gave Adam and Eve trees, not tables. He gives us material to make things out of. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, in his book Every Good Endeavor, gives this definition of work. Rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. He's taking raw materials. There's potential in the raw materials. And it's not just for yourself, but for the blessing of the world. I like this definition. A little shorter, but captures the essence. Bringing God's loving order into the world. So we take raw materials and we order them in order to reflect the image of God and reflect the love of God into the world. So if you're baking a cake, you're taking eggs and flour and sugar and vanilla and whatever else and taking these things and putting them in a particular order in order to bring love and sugar and and hyperactivity into the world. (laughs) If you're in IT, you take 
technical things and put them together in order to allow the world to flourish, to communicate, to be able to, to take stuff that on its own doesn't do anything, raw materials, puts them together in a particular way, in an orderly way, in order to bring about the flourishing. Music. If you're a musician, you can have a lot of noise. Music can be either noise or it can actually be beautiful. And what makes it beautiful is when it's arranged and ordered in a particular way. And it actually can point you towards something bigger, bring you into another space to cause your eyes to be lifted. Art is the same way. Or baristas. Thank you to all the baristas in the house for bringing God's loving order <laughs> to coffee beans and dairy products in such a way that it is just amazing. Or to the I see Chad and Amber right here, watchmakers, watch repairers, bringing, fixing all the little tiny things, ordering it in such a way for something, the potential of it to come out. There's so many different things. You can be a doctor. What are you doing? Bringing God's loving order into the world. Be a plumber, putting water in the places it's supposed to be and not in the places it's not. A parent. Trying with your, everything inside of you, trying to bring the loving order of God into the world. Sometimes you don't feel like you're succeeding. But that's what work is. Now what's interesting about this is once we see it this way, it eliminates this sacred, sacred spiritual or secular, sacred secular divide. Did you know that in the, in the Hebrew language, language of the Old Testament, there is not a word for spiritual, like doing spiritual things, because everything is spiritual. Like, like if someone were to ask Jesus, hey, do you want to go to this spiritual this or that? He'd be like, well, what are you talking about? Because everything is spiritual. Our, every bit of your work is spiritual. When you mow the lawn, you're doing a spiritual thing. It's, it's, there's something sacred about work. And when that's the case, we see that work isn't limited to a job or a paycheck, and we're talking about something bigger than nine to five. So what does this all mean? First of all, it means this, that work is a gift from God. It's a gift. Now, some of you are like, hang on, Aaron. <laughs> At best, it's a necessity. At worst, it's a curse. I mean, it's not fun. It's hard. God gave the vocation of work to Adam and Eve before the rebellion. The rebellion of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then what happened is that work was cursed. So it was a gift from God. It was something that was given for us to do prior to the world breaking apart. And when it broke apart, this is what happens. Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the fields. So even your dream job is going to have 
something wrong with it. Office politics, a boss, a colleague, something. Why? Because of Genesis 3. But it's a blessing. It's a gift. It just meant it was going to be hard. So, we receive work as a gift, and then we engage it as a gift. And it also tells us this, work has eternal significance. We started off in Genesis chapter 1, God creates this garden, puts humanity into it to work it, to cultivate it, to make something out of it. And then we jump to the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 1. This is John the Revelator. He writes the book of Revelation, and he has a vision of the end when Jesus returns and all is made right. And he says this, the end, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fr- fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are the healing for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Meaning, we will still work in the new heaven and the new earth, but the curse will be gone. The throne, no more office politics. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. A couple of things I want to highlight here. Notice the garden language. It starts in a garden in Genesis 1, and it ends in Revelation 22 in a garden-like city. And then that particular verse or passage ends with, and we will reign, rule, have dominion over forever and ever, with no curse on the work that we do. See, the garden was always meant to become a garden city. And so when you're putting, you're designing a building as an architect, when you're organizing numbers as an accountant, when you are navigating things in the tech world, you are pushing the garden project forward as a sign of what is to come, of redeeming and bringing order out of chaos and, and bringing potential and flourishing and blessing the world. What does it say in here? And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. They are for the world. See, we were built for Eden. We were built for Eden, and because we were called and given a mandate in Genesis chapter 1 so that they would rule, that mandate is still applicable for each one of us today. So when you drive to that job that maybe isn't your favorite, you are on a mandate. So that when you walk into that office door, you're on a mandate. When you walk into that patient's room, you're on a mandate. When you stand behind that counter, you're on a mandate. When you open up and stand at somebody's table, maybe taking their order, you're on a sacred, holy mandate from heaven so that you can bring God's loving order into the world. And we do it with God. We partner with God to bless the world. Redemption looks like blessing others with our work, not just about being all about ourselves, building up our own status, or doing it to win the approval of others. But our work will always frustrate us 
if we make it an idol. So I just want to give a few ideas of, of what, what it would look like for work to be an idol. Work might be an idol if, number one, you just can't stop working. If you can't work, stop, if you can't Sabbath, we talk about Sabbath and resting around here on a regular basis. One of our cultural values is that we practice sustainable rhythms. We celebrate it when our city group leaders take a break for the summer. We, t- we try to have people not serve on 14 different teams throughout our church. Why? Because we believe in sustainable rhythms. We believe that it is built into the fabric of the world. It is built into the fabric of who we are. But if you can't, stop. And it is easy in our world today to not stop. Because you can bring your phone home. You can check your email at any time. You, you, can, you can be at work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But if you can't stop, it might indicate that it has become your identity. Because to stop may be for you to not know who you are. If you're not working, you lose yourself. Work might also be an idol if you sacrifice for work, but not for your spiritual formation or your family or close friends. Me, the way that I like to think about this is who wins when there's a choice? When the when the boss says, hey, can you stay a little later? Or, hey, I got a project for you. Do you want it? Hey, uh, I got something for you. It's gonna, you're going to have to work the weekend. Or I need you to do this. Or fly out of town. Or whatever. When the choice is there, what do you choose? Which one wins? Does work always win? Or are you saying, nope, you know what? Actually, we have something going on Sunday mornings. You know what? That's city group night. Or, you know what? I, I, actually, I've, I've been away from my family quite a bit. I, I need to say no to that. I stand up here to you, in front of you here today saying that there was a time in my life when I always chose work. I chose work when there was a choice over Jossie and our boys. And I'll tell you, being in the vocation and work that I do, it's easy to justify it. And it might be easy for you to justify it. If you're a doctor, you might say, oh, well, I gotta, I mean, I look at the people I'm helping. We can justify it. And there might be good reasons and the good things you do. But there are ways that sometimes it needs to get a no. And our spiritual formation needs to get a yes, a consistent yes. Our family, our close friends needs to get a yes. And work might also be an idol if your well-being is determined by how well you are doing at work. Meaning that your life is a roller coaster. If things are well, then you're like on top of the world. If things aren't, then everything is a mess. When things are going well, you're like looking for opportunities in your conversations and you just hope they ask you what you do so you can brag a little bit. Because because your well-being is here when it's good and it's down here when it's not. Or are you able to kind of just stay steady, be a person of joy, have joy come from someplace deeper than our achievements or how well we're doing? So this is our weekly practice. is to read Ecclesiastes 2, 17 through 26, the passage I just read a little bit earlier. 
And then to pray, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. That particular verse says, Search me and know me, O God. Find any offensive or anxious way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we're reading, praying, and then we're honestly evaluating. Evaluate your relationship with work. How am I with work? What does it look like for me? To, to put it out there and say, do I, is it my identity? How do I navigate? Maybe it's the motives. Maybe we need to dig down another layer into the motives for why we work. Are we, are we motivated to work because of envy? Like a lust for what others have? Or are we motivated to work for the approval of others so that somebody might say, oh, wow, look what they've done. Look what they do. And the goal then is confession. See, the goal of this whole series is that we would get to the end of the series and by the end of the series, everyone can identify their idols. Either the idols that you have or the idols that are a temptation to you. Now, if you say, I don't have any idols, I got an idol for you. Maybe it's the need to feel like you're perfect. Self-righteousness. Has to do with your reputation. We all have them. We all have an idol. We all have idols that are tempted to creep and crawl up onto the throne of our hearts. The heart is an idol-making factory. But the writer of Ecclesiastes is reminding us that our affection and attention will only find its home in God. Sometimes I know that we go throughout our weeks and we're busy and maybe we forget the weekly practice. So I actually want us to take a moment, about 30 seconds, and ask God to reveal, to ask the question, what's my relationship like with work? Ask yourself, don't nudge your neighbor. Hope you're getting this. It might be a worthwhile conversation with your spouse, with your city group. Let's just take the next 30 seconds and allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate us. See, the thing about work, as well as all the other things that the writer of Ecclesiastes will say is meaningless, is that all of these things can't forgive you, redeem you. See, every other Savior is not really a Savior. The only true Savior is Jesus. I love what Warren Buffett says. He says, the most dangerous distractions are the ones you love, but that don't love you back. Jesus loves us back. Jesus forgives. Jesus is the one that can bring us from dead to life. 
Nothing and no one else can do that. And so there's an invitation for each one of us in here. Maybe, you're, maybe you find yourself in church for the first time in a really long time. But you feel a drawing from the Holy Spirit to come home, to put your ultimate hope, to recommit your life to Jesus, to say, I put my hope in you. I've been trying to put my hope everywhere else and I have found that I'm running up against a wall in a rowboat. And so for you, or maybe this is your first time in church or maybe, maybe, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before. Would you today cross the line of faith? You feel compelled to put your trust in Jesus, the one that can love you back, that can truly redeem. Will you just under your breath sincerely and in your heart say, Jesus, I give you my life. Put my hope in you. It's not the only thing that you need to say to God, but it's an amazing first thing to say to God. And it is a beginning of a journey of restoration, of partnership, of God working in and through us. For some of you here, maybe you've still got questions. You're like, I'm intrigued, but I have more questions before I can commit. I encourage you to participate in Alpha. It starts tomorrow night. We'd love to see you there. Wherever you might find yourself in your journey with God, in your journey with work, I want to take a moment and pray for us all. Father, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your revealing and your convicting. We, would you help us? Would you give us eyes to see? Eyes not just to see the ways in which we've placed something else on the throne of our hearts, but also to see your loving eyes and delight in us. To see the ways that our lives flourish and grow and are on bedrock when, they are, when you are on the throne of our hearts. Help us to see the things and to see work as a gift and to utilize it to bless the world. I pray that you'd shift perspectives today. I pray that you'd shift perspectives as people go into their workplaces, seeing it a bit differently, putting it in its right place, enjoying it as it's supposed to be enjoyed, but not trying to put their hope in it. And so, Holy Spirit of God, we invite you, we welcome you. We welcome your work in us and through us. And I pray that through our partnership with you and the work that you have given to us, we would bless the world and push the garden project forward. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I sense the good shepherd.